0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: Do you really want to know God, experience Him, know His love, love Him in return, walk in His truth, and manifest His glory? You see, these are the characteristic traits of a true disciple of Messiah Yeshua. We want to be in God's presence. We want to experience him in our life and we know something. We know only through obedience to his truth, the word of God, the scriptural revelation that we're going to experience those things. And they are the passion of our life. Well, we're going to continue in this study this evening in Isaiah's prophecy. And there is a unique characteristic trait of prophecy. Many times we see God saying something, and then in the next statement, there appears a change. And whenever that is the situation prophetically, we can say something about those times in the scripture. Whenever God seems to Do something differently than he just said, it's always because of his grace, it is because of this love that he has for his covenant people. So, usually, what we experience is a statement of God's judgment, his destruction, but yet later on, soon thereafter, we have a word of encouragement that God is not going to carry that out completely. That he would not fully destroy, but he will forgive, he will be merciful, his grace will bring about a change that renews, and this is such an important concept that will renew his promises and give his people another opportunity to experience his will. There is nothing better than experiencing the will of God. And a true disciple knows this, and therefore he's committed to God's will. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Now, we began this scripture last week, and we see that God once again is talking about his faithfulness, what he's going to do. And because of what he's going to do in the end, that remnant of his people are going to experience all of his promises. They are going to know the goodness of God. But in order to appreciate what God is saying, so that we learn about his character, we learn more about the knowledge of God, Therefore, we need to base that upon prophetic revelation. In other words, there is a very close relationship between knowing God and understanding prophetic truth. So let's begin. Very interesting text, Isaiah chapter 42, and we're going to begin in verse 10. And it's very important that we Look at these verses, understand the primary message of each verse, and we put things together so we can see how God moves, how God behaves, in order that ultimately His goodwill in His people's life will be manifested. Verse 10, it says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Now, a new song speaks of worship, but in a new manner. And that new manner usually has to do with a new condition of the people, that they have been changed. And therefore, they're praising God as they were always called called to do so. But they're doing it in a new way, meaning in a new spiritual condition. And we're going to see that, In this passage, God is going to act as renewer. And the reason why God will renew his relationship, his covenant promise, his presence, his promises to them is because God is going to do something. He is going to deal with sin so that he can overlook the guiltiness of his people. And this is true for all of his covenant people. And the only way that you can be the beneficiary of God overlooking your sin because he's dealt with it he paid the price he did the work of redemption the only way is through being a faithful recipient of the grace of God through that gospel message so he says here singing to the Lord a new song his praise from the ends of the earth. So we're seeing a future image where God's praise, his worship is going to fill the world, fill his creation. And then it says, the ones who go down to the sea and its fullness. So it's especially mentioning here about God's creation being full, even the seas and its fullness. And then he has a word for islands and this can mean the distant places that God's praise is going to be part of all of his creation. It's speaking about a future hope, a future promise and those two things go together. I have a future hope because of God's promise. So this scripture is simply saying there's a time coming When there's going to be a change and the people are going to reflect that change by praising God, singing a new song to Him. And that praise, that worship is going to fill the earth. For those who go down to the seas in its fullness, those who are in the islands, the distant places, and we conclude where it says, those who inhabit such places, verse 11. Now, this same message is continuing. We see here, it begins with the verb, which means to lift up, and it's in the plural. So they are going to lift up, and this is a message of praise, of adoration, of worship. Who's they? Well, the wilderness or the desert. It's a term, Midbar. So these places are also going to experience that same change where they lift up the wilderness or the desert and its cities, and then it has a phrase, some will say, Villages, but it's literally the term for courtyards, and the one that will de- dwell in Kadar. Now, Kadar is a word for, for darkness and gloom. And here's a great example of what the scripture is saying. Those in all places, even those that dwell in Kadar in darkness... And this can be a term of of gloom or sadness. What are they going to do? It says, such a one is going to shout with joy. The inhabitants of Selah, from the top of the hills, they are going to shout. Now, what I like here is that no one is being quiet about their faith. They're not having a private time of worship. But this worship is dominating, it is filling, it is totally overwhelming all of God's creation. And the words here that are being used for shouting for joy, and also in the end it is a shout, but it's almost reminiscent of a a scream. And we can have a scream of, of horror or a scream. Of when one is so excited, it just comes out, this, this emotion. That's what it's talking about. Verse 12 continues on this same theme. They will place to the Lord glory. Now, this is acknowledging. When one acknowledges God and his glory, they're speaking about how significant he is. Now, earlier today, I was teaching on a very different passage, and this passage had to do with Pontius Pilate. And and what Pontius Pilate did not grasp when he was sitting upon that judgment seat, he did not understand the significance, the heaviness, the weightiness of that moment, that decision in that time that he was going to have to make. And and here's the, the message for us. Many people don't understand the significance of God for their life. This is going to be changed. We read here, look again at verse 12. It says, They, these ones who are singing a new song, who are praising the Lord from the ends of the earth, all places, these wastelands, the deserts, In the midst of gloom, all of these places, they are acknowledging God and they are giving to him glory. And his praise, they will declare once again. The word literally is the word island, but it means those remote places where there's not a lot of inhabitants and they are far removed from the the populous places. The places of significance, main towns, cities, metropolitan areas. These are people who live so far away, so remote, that most of the time the people in these significant places ignore them. They they are exempt from taxes because it's just too hard. Why send someone to collect for, for such a small amount of people and so distant away? But in God's economy, we're going to see that all, everything, every place, everyone is going to be touched by his work. That's what the scripture is revealing to us. Verse 13. Now it gets even better. The Lord as a mighty one, and this word mighty one can be thought of as a hero. As I mentioned before, These two words, gibor, can mean a mighty one or a hero. So the Lord, as a hero, as a mighty one, he will go forth as a man of war stirs up this this jealousy. Now, what it speaks of is this. A mighty one of war, he sees what the enemy is doing and that stirs up a, a zeal in his life. He is upset for what the enemy is doing, the pain, the suffering, the loss that that this one, the enemy, is causing upon his, his fellow inhabitants, his fellow citizens. So because we are part by covenant of God's kingdom, it says here that the Lord as a mighty one will go forth As a man of war, he is going to be stirred up with zeal. And it says here that he is going to to shout, and it also tells us even that he's going to, and this is another word that speaks about scream with great emotion. And this emotion is so strong to accomplish his objective. It's simply expressed in this way, a yelling, a screaming. And it's aimed at, what does the scripture say? Upon his enemies. And it says at the end that he will, he will be mighty. But this term, yitgaber, means that he will prevail, he will overcome, he will be stronger than the enemy. And all of this is telling us that the victory Of God in this world against his enemy is going to be realized. It's going to happen in the future. And the implication is well, what side am I going to be on? Which one am I committed to? How am I identifying myself by my words that I speak, the actions that I do? Am I in a covenantal relationship with God or am I behaving like a child of the enemy? This is something that we need to wrestle with. Better yet, we need to settle it by making that decision and being faithful to that decision. Verse 14 He says, I have been quiet, and the word here, me'olam, for a long time. Now, this means almost forever, and that's how the people are seated. They are experiencing the enemy, and God seems so distant, and he seems so distant for such a long period of time. He says, I have been, and this word means I have been uh, uh, non-responsive, like someone who is deaf, and he says, I've restrained myself, meaning I have not responded. And the image is this, that God, he looks upon us. It grieves him to see his people suffer, but he also knows that this is because of our own unrighteousness, our own foolish choices, our rebelliousness against him. So he waits. He restrains himself. He does nothing, but there's coming a change. And notice it says that he does so as a woman who gives birth. Now, we know that a woman suffers greatly, and it says here, as a woman gives birth, she, it says, I will cry, and I will pant. That is, it's a, a, a word of, of struggling. And he says, I will, in another word, for for breathing hard. It's all of this pain, suffering, both emotionally, physically, What does this woman want? She wants the conclusion. She wants that child to be born. But it's a difficult journey to the conclusion. And this is what God's saying. He wants Israel to be singing that new song. He wants Israel to be victorious, to overcome the enemy. And he can help. But because of their spiritual condition at present time, God restrains himself. God acts like he does not hear. God is still. He's silent. He does not move. But we know he's going to move. He's going to respond. And then in verse 15, we see a change that is coming. Now, we need to read this with some prophetic insight. Because it says here, I will destroy mountains and hills, and all their grass I will will make dry. I will set the rivers as these these distant places, these, these islands that are far away, and I will dry up the lakes. Now, what God is saying here is this. He is going to, and oftentimes mountains and hills can be seats of governments. He's going to work against them. He is going to bring about a time where the rivers, and usually rivers, you travel in places, and normally there are are big cities, significant cities, on rivers. And what God is saying here is that he's going to bring a change. He's drying up the rivers. He is going to put those places that are are populous, he's going to make the people scatter into those remote, distant places, what we talked about with the concept of the Hebrew term ayim, which is islands. God's going to make a great change of his creation. And this change of his creation is going to give a new reality. And what is this? It's the establishment of the kingdom, the changes that God's going to bring in order to prepare his people for what he's going to do in making a kingdom. Verse 16. Now, in light of these changes and their difficult changes, drying up the river, knocking over the mountains, all of this is going to cause great hardship, but it's necessary. Why? Why? It's going to be these difficult things, these birth pains that Messiah spoke of, other prophetic signs and events that are going to be extremely harmful to the physical, the present physical condition. People are going to suffer and die. Why is God doing it? Because this is what's required, and here's the key, to bring about a spiritual change in his people. Now, God gives an invitation. Remember Messiah? He comes lowly and humbly, gently, and he offers a message of not condemnation, but forgiveness, one that's rooted in love. Come, respond to me, and I'll give you water. I'll quench that thirst. And he came to minister and he was nailed to the cross. He was rejected. The people did not take note of that. They conspired against them, both Jew and Gentile. So now Messiah is going to bring about, before his return to establish his kingdom, he is going to bring about some, some difficult things, but is going to cause A spiritual change. People are going to see things differently. And why am I saying that? Look now to verse 16. He says, I will lead the blind in a way that they did not know, in pathways that they did not know. I will lead them. I will place darkness before them for light. Now, this is so telling. He's going to place darkness, these things that are hardship, painful, difficult, but they're going to be used by him for illumination so that people can understand and turn to his revelation. It's all about getting their attention. So one of the things that we need to ask ourselves is, you know, what does God have to do to get my attention? You know, am I going to just respond to him because he, he, he knocks on the my heart that he begins to reveal himself and I just ignore it? That's what most people do. And therefore, God uses other more drastic manners from our standpoint. For God, It's as easy, everything's easy. He just speaks and it is. But our hard hearts are going to determine how we're going to experience God's revelation by listening and hearing and responding in obedience. That's the easy way. That's the right way. Or being stubborn, having a hard heart and a stiff neck, refusing to humble ourselves, then God, he's still able to get our attention. But it's going to be a very painful uh, proposition. So he says here, I'm going to place darkness before them, but it's for light, it's for illumination. And, And this word, most Bibles say crooked places, that he's going to make straight. Now, this last word has to do with making straight, that causing something to be a, a plain and easy road. But this, this first word that most Bibles translate crooked has to do with being stubborn, being someone that's, that's hard-minded, not easily convinced or persuaded. So he says, I'm going to take those things that are stubborn, but I'm going to make them straight. He's going to bring about a change. These things I have done them. Now, the implication is I've done this for them. Now, has he done all these things? Well, it's in the past, but it it foreshadows. It says, Good, God's promise it, it's going to be, but from our standpoint, it's futuristic. He says, I will not, literally, I have not left them i have not departed from them and the message is clear in the midst of these difficult things don't think that god's left his people that he's abandoned them he is not he has not left them in fact it's because of his faithfulness to this covenant that they're going to experience these difficult things verse 17 now those who move away from God at this time. See, there's going to be some that move towards him in the midst of this, humble themselves, understand his revelation, that he's getting their attention, but there's going to be others that that withdraw away from. And these are going to be utterly ashamed. The ones who trust in idols that say to these molten things, You are our gods, those who persist in idolatry. These are the ones that that verse 17 is speaking of, and they are going to be utterly ashamed. So what can we conclude so far? Well, there's going to be some that are singing a new song, that have responded to what God's up to, and they are going to be made ready for the kingdom, but there's going to be others that will not leave their idolatrous practices. It's all, all, all about themselves, their desires, and no matter how difficult it comes, they will not change. Let's move to the last part of chapter 42, beginning with verse 18. He says, The deaf ones here... The blind ones gaze upon to see. So even though we have been deaf and blind, God says, I'm going to act, and this is in the last days. I'm going to move in the last days. And you need to gaze upon and seek, seek the revelation from me. Verse 19. Now, verse 19. If, if we just translate it, and that, let me do this in the most literal way, he says, me, Iver, who is the blind one? Ke'im, rather, and or we can say, if not, my servant. And the deaf one as my messenger. I have sent. He who is blind as the perfect one and is blind as the servant of the Lord. Now, when we look at this, it seems difficult. Now, many rush to say, you know who these blind ones are? Israel, the Jewish people. But I see this as very different. And the reason being is that more often than not, the servant of the Lord, and in this case, It's Messiah. And what's it speaking about here? It says, who is blind, if not my servant? Now, we've seen that there's going to be a a group within his people that are rebellious, idolatrous, stubborn, won't be willing to humble themselves. And what God's going to do, he's going to overlook that temporarily. He's going to respond to them in light of that for the purpose, bringing about that spiritual change. So Messiah, he's going to not respond initially to to this, this stubbornness. He's going to act blind to that rebellious, deaf to these things. And why is he being that? Well, he's the perfect one, and that's what it says. Who is blind as the perfect one? Who is blind as the servant of the Lord? He's going to overlook the, the, the spiritual condition which demands judgment, wrath, punishment. Why? Because he's going to bring hardship for the purpose of brain restoration. And this is what God does with human beings. It's his nature. And we see this displayed with Israel. Now move to verse 20. He speaks about them seeing many things, but not uh, uh, responding to that. He has revealed things, but they have not kept what he's revealed. He's open ears. But 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 Israel have God opened the ears, He's given revelation, but they will not hear. So what's God's response going to be? Choose another people, break his covenant, not keep the character of his namesake? No. Nope. It says here verse 21 The Lord delights. Now this word means A strong desire for something, chafetz. Now, there is a couple different words for for wanting something. But this is a very strong one. And it says here that God is going to desire intensely, strongly, on account of his righteousness. And that is, God wants to make Israel righteous. Because he has said, these are my people. These are my covenant. So he's doing it because of his righteousness, not because we deserve it. And it says in this passage that he will magnify the law and make it splendor. So he is going to, and here the word for law, Torah, It's simply his revelation, his instruction. The Torah, you have to understand that within the Torah are numerous, not just commandments, but promises. With the commandments are promises. The commandments, some have promises of blessing. Others, when we disobey them, will have promises of judgment. Some speak about life, others death. It all depends on how we respond to them. So what God is saying here is that he's going to make, make majestic. He is going to make strong, great the promises that are found in his law. It's going to have a, an outcome that is splendor. That's what he's saying in verse 21. He, however, now he's going back. He's looking at not what will be, but what is the present condition? What is he going to do to bring this change about? And he says, he, and this is uh, Israel, he is going to be a people that is plundered and, and uh, uh, spoiled. They're going to t- take Israel as plunder and spoil, and that he is going to be trapped in the whole, all of them. So it speaks about judgment, punishment that's coming from the enemy, and that they, once again, the people are going to be be hidden in prisons. And most of the rabbinical commentaries see this as going into exile, that the people of the land are going to be missing, hidden. Why? Because they have been been sent to prison in exile. It says they will have been plundered. And there will be no one to help from this plunder. Uh, and there's no one, no one that is saying restoration. So, what can we derive from these verses? God is faithful. He, because of his righteousness, when someone is uninterested, when someone is rebelling, God is going to bring the enemy. And the enemy is going to Plunder them, take spoil of them, send them into exile. They are going to, his people are going to suffer greatly is what he's saying. There's going to be no helper for for them and no one is going to even think of restoration. That's what the verse, in the verse 22 is. Now verse 23. Who among them will hear this and will listen? and will hear for the end. Now, this is so significant. God is saying, I'm bringing all these things on. I'm allowing them why? Because he wants people to listen, to hear and to to pay attention. In fact, we have those three primary words: lazin, lakshif and lishmo Three different words that speaks about hearing something, listening something, responding to something that's what God say, who's going to do that in the end verse verse twenty four who is going to be given over to the plunder Jacob and Israel for for spoil so it says here, he is going to. Who's going to give Jacob over to plunder and Israel over to, to spoil? Is it not the Lord? Why? Whom they have sinned. We have sinned against him. So there's coming a time when Israel's going to realize, you know who's allowing this? You know who's behind all of this suffering? It's God. Why? because we have sinned against him. We have not desired, this is another strong word, we have not desired his ways to walk, and we have not listened. Literally it says, uh, in his ways they did not, instead of we, let's get it right, they did not desire his ways to walk, and they did not listen at his, his laws, his Torah. And what did he do? He will pour out upon him the heat of his anger and the power of war. It says, this will burn him all around. And they did not know that that you consumed him. They did not pay attention concerning this. So we see here that God is promising to do something. He's going to make that change. Where in the end, that remnant is going to sing that song, that new song to the Lord. The question that we should ask ourselves is, how? What is God going to do to bring that about? And the answer is this. Israel, Jacob, is going to go through a very difficult time. And God asks the question, who's going to pay attention to these things? Who's going to learn from them? Who's going to recognize that it's I, the Lord God of Israel, that's bringing this about in order to get you to talk about him who restores, Heal him who heals, he who saves. The problem is at the end of this chapter, we see something we see that Israel is still in that unrepentant state. And that's why we're going to learn more in the weeks to come about this Redeemer and what he's going to do, what's going to happen in this world. So in the end, there will indeed be that spiritual change to his people as a testimony to what? The faithfulness of God. That what God says you can believe. He keeps covenant with his people. A very important message that replacement theology and those that want to say that God has no longer any significance to the land, Israel's no longer his covenant people, everyone who takes that false position misses out on God displaying himself faithful His faithfulness to forgive, to extend mercy and grace to Israel, and to bring that remnant back to him and fulfill his promises. What a glorious testimony God's going to make. But if our theology says, nope, God can't do that, yes, the prophets say he will, but I reject that. I ignore that. I don't read that. I won't teach that. I will not let it impact what I believe. What? foolish statements God keeps prophetic truth and his keeping of prophetic truth reveals his faithfulness and his glory to and throughout the entire world important truth from the prophet Isaiah Shalom from Israel <laughs>